Canadians care about what's happening in the world. And in just 10 minutes, World Report can help you stay on top of it all. Join me, Marcia Young. And me, John Northcott, to get caught up on what was breaking when you went to bed and the stories that still matter in the morning. Our CBC News reporters will tell you about the people trying to make change. The political movements catching fire. And the cultural moments going viral. Find World Report wherever you get your podcasts. Start your day with us. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to The Dose. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Today, everything you need to know about outdoor transmission of the coronavirus. Lots of science, no politics. Hint, the risk is low. Welcome, Simon. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's great to speak to you, too. Um, have you ever played pickleball? I haven't, but that uh, uh, seems to be a, a favorite of my uh, good friend, Dr. Isaac Bogot, so I really should try it. I am uh, Suman Chakrabarty, and I'm an infectious diseases physician at Trillium Health Partners in Mississauga. Um, new pandemic uh, restrictions in Ontario banned pickleball along with tennis, golf, basketball, and other outdoor activities, including most outdoor gatherings. Those restrictions raised a lot of questions around the risk and safety of being outdoors and, frankly, got a lot of pushback. What does science tell us about COVID transmission outdoors? So, look, we, we've known for uh, almost a year now, uh, looking at the, all the different evidence that we have, is that outdoor transmission, while it's not zero, it is much less risky than indoor transmission. When you look at clusters, when you look at the evidence, when you look at even what we're seeing on the wards right now, the vast, vast majority of people have a heavy, prolonged indoor transmission. And interestingly, when you look at uh, any kind of clusters that are described to be outdoors, it's usually something that has an indoor component to it. So, for example, a barbecue party that has an indoor uh, drink component, something like that. So I think that it is to say that, look, the risk is not zero, but it's much better than being indoors. And I think from a risk mitigation strategy, that's why I really want to protect outdoor types of activities at, at all costs. I seem to recall a fairly recent study uh, from the UK. It was a rugby study uh, that, that looked at rugby players and, and, and actually came to the conclusion that most of the transmission that occurred in this very, you know, very limited transmission of COVID-19 actually occurred in rugby players, not playing on the field, but, but riding together in the cars going to and from the, uh, the venue. This doesn't surprise me. I mean, we've seen the exact same type of thing with hockey transmissions, uh, you know, transmissions uh, that they're happening in uh, on the tennis court. You think, well, tennis court, how, how could that happen? Well, because it's not the actual sport of playing. It's the, you know, being in the locker room before, uh, being in the cars, when it, it still wasn't quite clear the exact mechanisms of spread. I'm talking, uh, you know, more than a year ago. But yeah, like I said, the outdoor aspect of this is much, much less risky. So we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. What do the studies say is the percentage of COVID cases that are transmitted outdoors? Well, listen, you know, what, what we have right now, it's very small. So if you look at the, the say, the clusters of studies, you, you'll see that the majority of the study, I'm talking above 97% of them, are demonstrating no outdoor transmission. But if you're looking at this one study that came out of um, Ireland, now this was a, a bit earlier when there wasn't as much uh, a variant around, but we're talking something as low as 0.11% uh, of uh, transmission was occurring in the, the chance of transmission in the outdoor setting. So again, it's really, really small. Admittedly, it's not zero, but you know, nothing in, in life is, is risk-free. So why is the risk of transmission so much lower outside? 
So if you think of the way that you would get uh, infected with, uh, you know, droplets or an aerosol from, uh, from, from COVID, you have to think about it, you have to have a certain dose of it, a certain amount of it that is able to go into your uh, respiratory tract, overwhelm your defense system, and then get into your body. And it, it, there's a certain amount, and this amount is actually well-defined for other diseases. It's being characterized right now. So when you're indoors where aerosols can accumulate because the ventilation is not as good, you know, you have a much higher chance, especially if you're in close proximity for a prolonged period of time. When you're outdoors, that's essentially perfect ventilation. So any kind of aerosols or droplets that are coming from your respiratory passages of somebody who is infected, they disperse quickly and you can't get that same concentration of exposure. Now, all bets are off if you're in a close conversation for a long period of time. But I remind people that there's been a lot of big outdoor gatherings where we haven't seen significant transmission. And that's why I think looking at it this way, that's why it's so much lower risk. What about with the variants of concern like B117 and P1, which, which we know their numbers are going up and up and up? We know they're more transmissible. So how do they change the risk outdoors, if at all? I think they do. I think there probably is a numeric increase in the, in the amount of risk. But I guess the way that I look at it, for any type of risk increase that you see outdoors, which again would be minuscule, the overall risk is still small. And that risk is actually even higher indoors. And certainly from what I'm seeing, I, I've been uh, working very closely in all three ways. But in the third wave, it is abundantly clear. The people who are getting infected and sick enough to come in are those with heavy, prolonged indoor exposure. It's almost exclusively from uh, you know, high-density work settings or the family members thereof, or a high-density um, living setting such as you know, a shelter. So this is something that is playing over and over and over again. And this is part of the reason why I am such a proponent of trying to risk mitigate and move things outdoors. So what is a safe distance from other people when you're outdoors? So as they say, the, the safest distance, the farther you are from somebody, the safer it is, right? But we, I think we have to have our own uh, risk uh, calculations. So let's say if you're in that, the, uh, the six meters that you hear, the six feet, sorry, the two meters that you hear uh, for the indoors, it's about the same, but you're probably safer. Now, if you're really, really close to somebody, uh, you know, sitting there for an hour, Again, the, 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 that's probably less safe. It's hard to put a number on that. But I will say that if, in the, if you take those two people sitting in very close proximity and transplant them to indoors, the risk there is many-fold higher. So it's, I, I would say if you want to stick to the, the two-meter, six-feet rule, I think that's a good one. Right now in Ontario, you're not allowed to gather outdoors with anyone outside of your household unless you live alone. Then you can see one other household. What does the science tell us about the number of people you can safely gather with outdoors? Uh, again, it's, it's uh, difficult. I think that what we do know is that big things like, you know, concerts, sports venues, uh, uh, these types of mass gatherings, these probably could have uh, enough of a exposure where, okay, you, you'd really want to avoid that. And now we're talking thousands of people there. Um, in terms of, aside from the public health rules, you know, once you're starting to get to groups where it's difficult to, uh, you know, have a, uh, your own space for a prolonged period of time, you know, it depends on the space, but could that be 20 people, 30 people? Who knows? But what we do know is that as you start to get higher in numbers, the risk is slightly increased. But again, this is also to say, I, I make the distinction about heavy exposure. What's going to, uh, looking at what I'm seeing right now in the hospital, the people who are getting really sick, including the younger people, have a prolonged heavy exposure. And being outdoors, unless you're sitting in, you know, right beside someone for a long period of time, over an hour, I think the risk of heavy exposure is very small. So I think 
you know, we want to keep our groups within reason, let's say 15, 20 people. Uh, but I think that outdoors, again, if you're spaced out, it's a sunny day, I, I think the risk is very small. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back in a moment. Um, Suman, I have to tell you that, you know, I run, I ran this morning, uh, I run every other day, 10 K and, and every time I go for a run, I pass at least one person who takes this extra wide berth around me as if that, that quick run by is going to give them COVID-19. Of course, I've been vaccinated, but that's beside the point. Why do so many people have this misconception about being outdoors, uh, that, that being outdoors with other people is, is really risky when you've just said it isn't. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this also is exactly what you mentioned, the risk perception. And, and look, you know, I remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of these um, cartoons going around on Facebook or Twitter of somebody's aerosols, somebody's jogging, a red aerosol is coming out of their mouth and it's hitting people next to them, right? And we do know it's respiratory transmission, but I think that what we've been hearing over and over and over again is wear a mask, keep your distance, but we haven't actually heard more of a kind of a risk mitigation type of strategy. It's all been abstinence-based. So if you're somebody who's, you know, maybe don't have a, a health background, you don't want to have any kind of exposure. Maybe that's what we're seeing there. But I think that uh, hopefully uh, once we're past this pandemic, we kind of give more of a good communication of where the risk actually is. And, you know, we get a lot of anger from the home sense lineup, uh, a lot of things going on uh, on Twitter and Facebook, Whereas that's not where people are getting exposed, getting sick. It's happening in places that are invisible. And that's really what I've been trying to, to get out there. It's indoor settings, prolonged exposure, not walking by Dr. Goldman, who's jogging, uh, where the risk is essentially zero. I want to turn this, this whole risk uh, and safety um, question around 180 degrees. Um, why do you worry about people who are avoiding being outdoors as if it's a high-risk uh, endeavor. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. We are a social species, and I think our uh, mental and physical health is hinged upon being around other people. Now, I know there's certain people that are hermits. They don't want to be around anybody. That's, that's fine. But most of us are not like that. I think that not going outdoors, not getting sunshine on your face, this, this can really have a toll on your mental health. And we've been seeing that throughout the pandemic, that we've had a really laser focus on COVID to the detriment of, I think, other types of uh, illnesses. This is why I think being outdoors, uh, getting some physical activity, being able to see your friends uh, uh, in a safe environment, these are all things that we need to be providing to people one year into the pandemic. You, you can't is exactly lock people in their houses or in bubbles um, a year into this because we have to balance the risk mitigation for COVID, but also the risk of other things. And that's why I think it's really important for us to look at the entire picture. And that includes physical, mental health uh, and, and connection with our friends and family. What about wearing masks outdoors? Under what circumstances do you recommend people wear them? So I think that uh, if you're going to be in a group of people, let's say in a circle, you're going to be talking in relatively close quarters for a prolonged period of time, you could consider wearing a mask. I would never shame anybody. Actually, I wouldn't shame anyone for wearing a mask at all because if, if, if that's what your uh, risk calculation is, you do it. But I will say one thing. Apart from that close prolonged contact that I just described, I don't think masks outdoors are number one necessary or I think they're really doing much. The, just the act of being outdoors and that increase in ventilation to almost 
I can't even say almost, it is perfect ventilation. When you're in that situation, I don't think a mask is, it, it's like a drop in an ocean. Uh, I know that people do feel more comfortable with it and I think that's fine, but I don't think that we should be, I think a, an outdoor mask mandate is, is really not the way to go. Okay, um, let's have the lightning round for the wild, for the wide world of sports. What's the risk of playing soccer outdoors? I would say the, the risk of playing soccer outdoors is slightly higher than the risk of, say, talking to somebody outdoors uh, apart by six feet. But what I always like to do, and I like how you did the 180 thing. I like to kind of take the question, let's say you have 10 people playing soccer outdoors, okay? And you compare those same 10 people to indoors watching TV or drinking together, okay? Something, something social. The risk of playing soccer outdoors is way lower than those same 10 people being indoors. Okay, how about basketball outdoors? I would say basketball is a little bit uh, higher risk than soccer outdoors. Because look, you, you have uh, spittle flying around, you're in much closer contact, you're breathing hard just like you are in soccer. And by the nature of basketball, you're, you're closer. I'm going to be a broken record again. You take those same 10 people playing basketball and compare them to being inside, watching TV together, being outside is lower risk. How about pickleball? <laughs> pickleball. You know something? I got to admit that I don't think I know exactly how pickleball works. <laughs> I, I suspect it's something like tennis, I guess. But I think that, uh, you know, sports where there's a bit of natural social physical distancing there. I think that the risk is probably lower than both basketball and soccer. So tennis, uh, by that logic, tennis is good. Uh, badminton is good. Definitely. I think that in terms of that, you know, in terms of your risk per, uh, per, uh, perception, if you want to play basketball, that's your choice. But if you're going to do it, you do it outdoors. But yeah, if you want to do tennis, there's essentially zero risk if you're that far apart. Volleyball. Good. I would say good. Yes. Let's say I still want to play pickup basketball or soccer uh, or I live in a province where it's allowed. How can I do it safely? I, I think, again, like, you know, the, the outdoor element adds such a big whack of safety. Just that, that big intervention, just that ventilation makes such a difference. If you want to wear a mask, go ahead and wear a mask. I think it's going to be difficult doing that when you're doing such heavy physical activity like basketball. Uh, that's an option, I think. But I think overall, being outside, playing basketball together, the risk that I think that's a good trade-off than having people indoors uh, together. It's spring, the buds are blooming, trees are getting green. What's your advice to people generally about going outside? I think that my advice, I mean, uh, in Ontario, we're having a little bit of a couple day cold snap with some snow, I know, but uh, I think my advice has remained the same since the winter time, that if you're going to have activity, especially if it's going to be, say, with another household, if they're in the same park or something, do it outside. Yes, the risk is not zero, but it's an amazing trade-off for having people inside. And this is part of the reason why respiratory viruses tend to be much less in the warmer weather, because if people are outside, the risk is much uh, reduced there. And I think overall, we want to be able to enjoy the weather, not just for risk mitigation, but also for our physical and mental health. Risk mitigation is a phrase that I'm going to remember. And uh, I want to thank you for bringing it to my attention, Suman Chakrabarti. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Dr. Suman Chakrabarti is an infectious diseases physician at Trillium Health Partners in Mississauga, Ontario. Here's your dose of smart advice. Being outdoors carries a very low risk of getting COVID-19. Studies suggest more than 97% of all transmission of the virus occurs indoors. Variants of concern like B117 and P1 may carry a slightly greater risk of outdoor transmission, but not enough to change what doctors recommend. The risk of COVID transmission is low outdoors because ventilation is so much greater outside. There are other benefits to being outdoors. You get exercise and you get to scratch that social itch to be with other people in the safest possible environment, the out of doors. 
To be extra safe, stick to the two meters of physical distancing recommended by public health. As for how many people you can gather with outdoors, Dr. Chakrabarty says it's reasonable to be in a small group of people. In general, you do not need to wear a mask outdoors unless you're going to be in close contact with lots of people for a prolonged period of time. Outdoor sports with built-in physical distancing like tennis and badminton are fine. Outdoor soccer is low risk. Outdoor basketball might be a little riskier because you're close enough to catch spit from other players. Dr. Chakrabarty says you should think not of eliminating, but mitigating the risk of COVID-19. The science says you can mitigate a lot of the risk just by being outdoors. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at nightshiftmd or at cbcwhitecoat using the hashtag thedosecbc. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a big favor and subscribe to The Dose and rate our shows really highly so many more people will find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Lauda Antonelli for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.